Early on Sunday morning, the new day was dawning, and Mary and Magdalene, the other Mary, went to visit the tomb. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord had come down from heaven and rolled aside the stone and, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Literally, the Greek says they became as dead men. I understand that. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead, just as he said it would happen. Come see where his body was laying, and now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and he's going ahead of you to Galilee. And you'll see him there. Remember what I have told you. Good morning and happy Easter. I'm Pastor Scott Weatherford. Christ the Lord has risen. That's a pretty good, choir. Thank you. He's risen. I heard that mumbling from you guys. Thank you so much for that great song today. We're here celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ is alive and well. We're not mourning him. We've not come to eulogize him. We've come to celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ is alive. The most accurately documented event in ancient history is the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. More documented than any of the rule of any of the Caesars, any of the writings of antiquity, even the rulers and the writings of pharaohs of Egypt. Jesus Christ, the historical Jesus, is true. His resurrection is evident, and it's life-changing power unto today. Those who would argue it would have to argue from a position of not being well-informed because the well-informed realize that Christ is alive. Dude, the contemporaries of Jesus, in fact, for the first several hundred years, there was not even a debate among people of learned people about the resurrection. They all knew it to be fact. They agreed with it. Just as we here in Texas might agree that at one time in history, the Dallas Cowboys were America's team. <laughs> now that too was kind of faded into antiquity. Don't shoot me. I, I love the Cowboys and the Texans. And I'm going to stop, all right? <laughs> but I want to say this to you. How does this apply to us today? How does this, this resurrection of Christ intersect our lives today? Well, I want you to hold this in your heart. You see, we live between two Easter's. We live between two Easter's. The Easter, the historical event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the resurrection that Christ will give to us personally, either his glorious return or his fetching us through the chilly tide of death. We live between two Easter's. For those who have trusted in Christ, that second Easter is a glorious homegoing. Will there be no more weeping or wailing or gnashing of teeth? There'll be a joyous presence of the Lord. For those who don't know Jesus, well, it's just unacceptable. It's unacceptable. For years, I pastored a church in South Texas that was known for being the church where, well, if you didn't have a pastor, I got to bury you. You know, people were dying to hear me preach in those days. <laughs> That'll be less funny as you think about it. And when I did a funeral for somebody that I was not sure of their eternal destiny, and by the way, I'm not in charge of eternal destinies of people. 
Only Jesus is. I would say if this young man or young lady or old man or old woman stood before you today, they would tell you the truth about eternity. Because all of us will one day know the truth about the resurrection. But we live between two Easter's. While I was matriculating at Florida State University, where I was majoring in voice performance, my father had insisted that I do something other than being a musician because he couldn't see how music would actually be a fulfilling uh, career. Of course, I ended up being a preacher, so I say God didn't call me to work, he called me to preach, but uh, that's also a joke. Um, so I, tell, I told my dad, I said, Dad, what if I, I major in music and minor in geology, then I would become a rock singer. It's getting worse, isn't it? All right. I'll spare you on this Easter. But needing to take some, uh, some extra classes, I took a survey of the New Testament. And my professor was a, a PhD from Princeton, one of the youngest PhDs to ever graduate from Princeton. And he was Jewish. His father was a rabbi. And I got to know both of them very well. And I took uh, his survey of the New Testament class. And his final question was this. Prove the historical Jesus. Prove the historical Jesus. So I wrote. I wrote about the gospel evidence, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I wrote about other biblical evidence, the writings of Paul. I wrote about the 500 eyewitnesses to the resurrection. I wrote about the extra biblical material that's found about Jesus Roman historians and other historians who've written about Jesus, those who've written about Jesus in the, in the ensuing times shortly after his resurrection. I wrote about all those things. And then finally, I wrote about my personal encounter with Jesus. You see, at Florida State, I was 21, responding to the call of God to ministry, and I shared with him my story. Well, fortunately, I made an A in the class. And a note was on the top of my, my exam, come see me. You have intrigued me. And we began a relationship and a dialogue. I'd like to tell you now that he's the pastor of First Baptist Church in Tallahassee, but he's not. I'd <laughs> make for a better story, but I'm, I'm, I'm not just preaching now, I'm telling the truth. That's also a joke. <laughs> but what it stirred in me was the truth of the resurrection and the power of the resurrection. If Christ is not raised, then we have a problem. We have a serious problem. So this morning, I want to take you on a search for the historical Jesus and for the power of the resurrection and for the assuredness that Christ is alive and he wants to become alive in you. One of the great pitfalls of being in Texas, there's not many, there's one, that we could be wooed into what I call churchianity. Churchianity. In other words, we belong to something, but we don't belong to someone. We attend something, but it's not what you show up to, it's what shows up in you that matters. And today, my prayer is that you'll walk out of these doors realizing the risen Lord has risen indeed, and he's resurrected in you that you might live all for Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for what you want to say to us this morning in your word. And I pray that you'll speak through me. That it'll not be my words or my thoughts or even the pattern of my thinking. Lord, help us from that. 
But Father, I pray that we'll encounter you, the risen Lord, today, and our lives will be changed, and that you will speak, and we will listen, and we'll respond with our lives. And I pray this all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Now, if you'll take out your bulletin, you look at the back of the bulletin, there's a place to take some notes. Now, we left a lot of blank space, and, and some of you look at, well, this is going to be short. <laughs> Don't deceive yourself, yeah. I'm going to preach till I finish, and hopefully we'll finish at the same time. If you ever go to sleep while I'm preaching, I consider that a great compliment. You trust me, and therefore you fell off to sleep. So some of you looked at your wife right there and said, leave me alone. He said I could sleep. But I'm going to dare you to write down some things. Now, before we get into this, I want to talk to you about next week. Next week is, starts a series called Crazy Love, and this is about relationships. Have you under, ever wondered why you do the things you do? Have you ever thought about trying to get rid of bitterness and resentment? Have you ever considered conflict to be a pathway to intimacy? Have you ever looked at your spouse or your kids and said, what in the world was God thinking when he did all of this? Well, crazy love is about all of that. And we've provided some extra things for you, extra things. Like I'll be teaching on the weekends various topics. In fact, next week, uh, the sermon really is titled The Theology of Relationships. But nobody wants to come hear that. So I entitled it, What Was God Thinking? And we're going to talk about what God was thinking as he created man and woman and, and created the family. And there's accompanying small group material that goes with this. Now, you could do small groups one of two ways. You could do it formally, where a few of you gather together, you watch this DVD material that I provided, which will be available to you at the end of the service. You'd like to pick up a hard copy, or it's available on our website, fbcwimberly.com. And you could watch this. You can do it formally, or you can do it informally. You could gather up a few people and meet at Maui Wowie or one other coffee shop here. Or if, you're really, um, if you're really fancy, you could run up to Starbucks at Dripping Springs. So if you're really fancy, and uh, you could watch that or any place you want to gather. Two or three of you can actually watch it on your phone and discuss it. Or you can do it with your family in your home. Or you can just gather up some neighbors. Or you can watch it by yourself. Whatever you want to do. This is, you cannot get this material any other place than First Baptist Wimberley on our website are here uh, as you pick it up, hard copy. And why are we doing this? It's because we want you to become like Jesus. We want to build your life. We're doing this, well, I'll let you know a little secret. We're doing this because we love you. That's why. We love you. We want your life to be built by God. Now, enough of that advertisement. Let's jump into our text today, and let's look at what Jesus said. Well, actually, what Apostle Paul said. Now, we're going to read for you out of, it's going to be out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is really cool. I think it's cool that this passage of Scripture was used as early, now get this, as 45 A.D. in the new church. 45 A.D. Now, Jesus was probably resurrected around 33 or 35 A.D., maybe 37 A.D., and as early as 45 A.D., people in church were quoting this passage of Scripture. This had already wormed its way into what's called sacred text, and they were using this passage. So this is old, this is ancient, this is good, and Paul wrote it down for the Corinth church because they were a dumpster fire, and Paul, Paul was trying to help them. And so let's read this together. Let me tell you, but tell me this, since we preach Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there's no resurrection of the dead? That's 1 Corinthians 15, 12. Now, see, the theories of the resurrection are really kind of interesting. In fact, these theories didn't become theories till about four or 500 years after the fact of the resurrection. 
Well, one of them happened right as the resurrection happened, but others were extrapolated uh, down through the pages of antiquity. And here's the first, uh, the first theory, and this is actually the theory that people held on to in Jesus' day because the high priest started this rumor. And that's the stolen body theory, that Jesus actually didn't raise from the grave. Somehow, his cowardly disciples who abandoned him at his hour of need gathered courage during this three-day uh, entombment of Jesus, and they went and overpowered a Roman garrison, trained professional military men. These fishermen from Galilee overpowered these Roman centurions, these Roman soldiers, special forces. They somehow managed to roll the gigantic stone away, and they stole Jesus' body, and they buried it in another location. Now, that, that was the whole the theory, that somehow they garnished this. And by the way, they not only stole his body, they, they, none of them admitted it. They held to their same story. Now, we know the Bible, the, uh, the disciples weren't Baptists because they'd have told on one another, right? But they maintained this, and they even went to their death believing uh, this lie. Well, this is preposterous. Somehow, something would have found the body of Christ. But you can't find a body that's been resurrected. A body that's living and walking around is not laying out for some people to behold. The stolen body theory was the high priest trying to cover up the blotching of the crucifixion. And, of course, the power of the resurrection. And then there's the, uh, I love this one, the missing body or the wrong tomb theory the wrong tomb theory. Now, this theory was that when the women got up that morning, they went to the wrong tomb. They just went to the wrong tomb, and it was empty. He said, he's not here. I guess he's risen, and they went back to the house. How stupid is that? Have you ever known a woman who did not know where she was going? It's crazy. Now, if it had been a bunch of guys, we would have figured that out, right? We'd have to stop and ask directions, right? That's before the days of GPS, but but this is crazy. And this thought that, that is, it's, they just went to the wrong tomb and Jesus was still in the right tomb. Of course, don't you think somebody would have figured that out earlier? Now, here's the next theory. Are you guys enjoying this so far? Okay, all right. The next theory, are, are you guys still awake back there? Okay, all right. The next theory was the swoon theory. Now, this is, this is really fun. Actually, Jesus didn't die on the cross. He merely fainted. And when he fainted, they took his body down and they wrapped him in these wonderful linen cloths and, and put aloes on him. And, and they put him in that nice cold tomb. And in that cold tomb, wrapped in those cloths, especially his head tightly wrapped, that he somehow resuscitated after hanging on a cross. Uh, in fact, crucifixion is a barbaric uh, form of, of capital punishment. The Persians are the ones who invented it. They were always the best at inventing terrible things to kill people. And uh, you literally suffocate. That's how you die. You suffocate. And, uh, and of course, his side was pierced. He had a, a big gash in his side, probably enough to, for him to bleed out. Hands, uh, wounds in his hands and his feet. And, uh, he, but he swooned. And somehow, that during that period of time, with lack of proper hydration, and, and somehow in that cold tomb, he, he resuscitated. And he was able to get up and to move a several thousand pounds stone from the entrance of the grave and he walked out in fact this is where it gets really crazy not only did he walk out he married mary magdalene and they had a son 
And that child is the descendants of all the, uh, the royals from, from, from uh, Europe. Somebody's smoking crack, y'all. That's crazy. That's crazy. Now, yesterday, uh, Tara and I live down in, uh, not far from here, about 30 minutes from here. We go through purgatory every, every time we come up. And um, we, we have an acre uh, of, gra- of, of ground. And, and about a year and a half ago, Tara was gracious enough to let me buy a 56-inch zero-turn lawnmower. Never in my life have I been looking forward to grass growing. It's like go-kart. It's fun. It's fun to cut my grass. And, uh, and, and I have a tendency, it's not how fast you mow, it's how well you mow fast, right? That's the John Deere commercial. And I like to zoom, zoom on my 56-inch. And, and, of course, if there's a rock or a root or a critter or a small child, you better watch yourself because Pop Scott's coming on the lawnmower and we're going to get this grass cut. Well, yesterday, I ran over something. And it got, made this terrible noise and and I didn't know what it was, and I got Tara to help me, and she was a lot of help, not really. And, and we, we lifted up the lawnmower to see what was stuck, and I got to messing around, and I have a slight, tiny little cut on my thumb, and it's completely incapacitated my hand. But if you drove a nail through my hand, I can get up, walk off, and pull away a stone. It's stupid. The swoon theory just is stupid. And it just, that's a theological word, by the way. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. All right, here's, there's some more theories. I know you, you're dying for more. There's the drugged body theory that he was drugged and he really didn't endure crucifixion. He was merely intoxicated and, and then resuscitated. And this, is, this is the real fun one, the twin body theory. Jesus really didn't die on the cross. His stunt double died on the cross. The dude that looked like Jesus died on the cross, but Jesus didn't die on the cross. Wow. Hollywood, even in the first century. And here's the last one, and this one really caught on about 200 AD, and that's the spiritual body, the spiritual body. That Jesus' body, there was two forms, the physical and the spiritual, and this is the, the root of Gnosticism, by the way. We can talk about that later, but his his fleshly body died, but his spiritual body came to life, and his spiritual body is one that people saw. And that also is crazy. It just doesn't work. Now, you look at all this, and you say, well, Scott, why in the world are you wasting my time telling you all about these theories? Because I want to tell you this. The resurrection of Christ gives his life power and proves that he's God. And you know what it also proves? You're not God. It's the power of the resurrection that sets Jesus apart from every other religious leader of any time period of history. We could go to the gravesite of every religious leader except for Jesus Christ. Oh, we could go to his tomb. I've been there. It's empty. He's risen again. You often wonder why people in our world today get antsy when you talk about Jesus in the resurrection. Because there's power in the resurrection. There's hope in the resurrection. And it shows that this world is not our home, but this world to come is, and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. But let me go on with just a little bit. There's some problems if the resurrection is not true 
it really creates some problems with our lives. And let me share that with you. Let me read on. For if there's no resurrection from the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless. And we apostles would be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is not only for this, for this life, we are more pitied than anyone else in the world. Wow. This is a bleak outcome. If the resurrection of Christ is not true, then we are pitiful. Pitiful. You see, the resurrection of Christ was the crescendo of the symphony of rescue. Before the fruit had crunched in the garden, Jesus had left for the cross of Calvary that he might be resurrected from the tomb in the garden that we might be resurrected to new life in him. Let me say this to you. I don't want to insult you, but before you trusted Christ, you're dead. And your future is dead. And your eternity is deplorable. But Christ is raised. There's hope. There's life. There's peace. That through the trials and turmoil of our life, we have a God who's God enough to save me, a God enough to rescue me, a God enough to sustain me, and a God enough to take me home to heaven because Christ has been raised. If he's not been raised, the gospel is meaningless. Why is that? Because the resurrection sits at the heart of reconciliation. Again, we're enemies with God. I was pastoring church in Canada, and I said one weekend, the Canadians are really polite. We have any Canadians in the room? They're, they're so polite, they're not going to indicate they are. They'll say, hey, I'm a Canadian. But while I was pastoring in Canada, I said one study, I said, do you realize that before you come to Christ, you're a child of the devil? They said, Pastor Scott, that's rather harsh. You shouldn't tell people they're the child of the devil. I said, I didn't tell them that. The Bible says that, that we're children of the devil, children of the devil. Of the devil. Now, if we're children of the devil, that means we need to be adopted by God. Adopted by God. And the only way we could be adopted by God is to be reconciled to God through the sacrifice of Jesus to pay for our sins. Biblical reconciliation is this. Get this. The one who's been most offended extends forgiveness to the one who's brought the offense. The one who's been most offended, God himself, is the one who reconciles. Now, Tara and I have been married for 35 years. There are times that we have an argument. And we, we get into a, an argument. Usually, our arguments are based on our selfishness. Not, not hers, but mine. She's sitting right there. Okay, my selfishness. What I should say to her, instead of saying, you make me so mad, what I should say to her is, you just revealed how selfish I really am. And what Christ said 
even though you're a child of the devil, I'm going to reconcile you through my death and make you a child of the king. Amazing love. If the resurrection's not true, your faith is useless. You cannot be made right with God. You were dead and you were lost. (laughs) And I just don't think that's acceptable. We are pitiful and we're wasting our time. There's no hope in this world. There's no good to be done. There's no one to be loved. This is just a big joke. I think about that. I've stood at the graveside of both my parents and all four of my grandparents. I'm sure I'm going to stand at the graveside of other people I love in my time. I've been the pastor of many people and watched them go into their eternal reward. I've been in their presence where they breathe their last with the hope of the resurrection in my heart. If Christ is not raised, I will not see my mama again. I will not see my father again, my grandparents again, my loved ones again. It's pitiful. I can't bear the thought. Because this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. If the resurrection is not true, the death is unbearable in heaven is impossible. But Christ is raised. It is true. As I said earlier, the most accurately documented event in ancient history is the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul goes on to say. But the fact is Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who died. So, see, just as death came into the world through a man, that's Adam, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man, that's Jesus Christ, the God-man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given, can you finish that with me? New life. Will be given new life. In other words, this life is merely preparation for the next life. I want to say this to you, I don't know if you you know this or not, But we have a a saying around here, the reason that First Baptist Wimberley exists is to prepare people for eternity. This life is just preparation for the next life. We're going to get to learn to love each other and live for Jesus so we can go to heaven and love each other and live for Jesus for the rest of eternity. That's awesome, isn't it? There's four of you, nod your head, two, lick your lip, one of them woke up and wanted to give an offering again, Okay. But that's just, that's the awesome truth of what we're about, to prepare people for eternity. The fact is Christ is raised from the dead. And I can't reemphasize that enough. We could be alive in Christ now and forever. One day, word is going to trickle out about my death. Don't believe it. I'll be more alive than I ever was. What you could say is, finally, he's not aggravating Tara anymore. Finally, he's not being loud and obnoxious. Finally, I'm home. I'm home where I belong. And for those of you who trust in Christ, that will be your home. Jesus stood at the graveyard of Lazarus, and he wept. He wept. Hot tears of anger over the 
the atrocity of death. And he called Lazarus forth from the grave. You know, Lazarus died again. But Jesus said this to Martha before he raised Lazarus from the dead. Let me read it for you. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? You see, this belief that results in obedience is what changes us from life to death. Changes us from being children of the devil to be children of the Lord. You see, Jesus is the first fruit of the resurrection, so all may be resurrected who trust in him. Now, what does that mean? I don't have time to go into this, but everything in the Old Testament and all the Jewish sacrifice systems they did and the, and the feast and the, and the observance and from Passover to the Feast of Presence, Tabernacle, to, to uh, Day of Pentecost, those, all these feasts were in preparation for the announcement of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the prophecies, all the feasts. It's the covenant relationship with God. And when he rose from the grave, he announced, everything you've done in ritual is no longer needed. Everything now is by relationship with me. The other day, Tara and I were on a walk. And um, we met two young men. And I invited them both to come to church. One was a Muslim, and one was a self-admitted agnostic. And, they, and I said, well, you know, won't y'all come on up to church? I think it'd be great. And they looked at me funny. I said, no, really, come on. It'd be great. You'll, you'll love it. I'll introduce you. Somebody will feed you. It'll be great. You're college kids. You know, you tell a college kid somebody's going to feed them, they're apt to come, right? And um, one guy, he, he, the guy that was kind of agnostic, he, he, the, the Muslim guy, he was kind of like, okay, yeah, this might be fun. The, the other guy, he said, well, I'm not very religious. And I said, I'm not either. He looked at me like, what? I said, I'm not either. He said, you're a pastor. I said, yeah, but I'm not religious. Because religion means ritual. I'm into relationship with the living, loving God. And relationships trump religion every time. Every time. You see, I have hope now. We have hope because Christ is life. I can endure most anything as long as I have peace, as long as there's hope. Can't you? Hmm. I'm not pitiful, and we are not pitiful. For what we believe is solid and useful and it's life and it becomes contagious where I can't wait to share it with others. It's not pitiful. And I can finally live with a purpose and that purpose is to make Jesus famous. I can live all for Jesus because of the resurrection. So we gather here on this Easter Sunday some out of devotion some out of obligation. Some because your mama said if you didn't come to church, you won't go get fed this afternoon. Whatever your motivation is, you're here today. And I will say this to you. You live between two Easter's.
the Easter, the resurrection of our Lord, and the Easter when Christ is raised in you, in you, to live all for him. So come see the place where they lay him. It's not here. Because Christ is risen. Yes, he's risen indeed. 